Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Newcomers panel at the 19th Mickey Fox. My name's Eric. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, please help me get started with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, each person will have 15 minutes to talk. Um, the speakers are uh, Brad T. from Flint, Mike D. from Flint, uh, Nikki from, I totally forgot where you were from. Detroit. Um, and Amy from Grand Rapids. Uh, our first speaker is Brad. Thanks, Eric. How y'all doing? Um, my name's Brad, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Brad. Love you, Brad. Lots and lots and lots. Thanks, I love you guys too. Um, I remember when I first came into the program, it was a little over, probably like nine and a half months ago, and my first meeting, I went to Woodbridge, which is a young people's meeting in Flint, and I was scared out of my mind. Um, when I was driving there, I thought, my first thought was actually just to go to McDonald's and hang out there for an hour, you know, drink some pop, eat some Big Mac or something. <laughs> I was, I was scared because... I didn't, I didn't think I belonged there. I was scared that I might actually learn something there, that I, maybe I was an alcoholic. Um, cause we, face it, when we get into this program, it's not under the best circumstances usually. You're not sent here. I mean, you actually are usually sent here by the cops, by your family. Um, sometimes it's yourself, but usually you're going through some problems. And I was going through some problems, but at the same time, I didn't want to admit I was an alcoholic. I, uh, I thought that was like a leper or something, you know, that's like, we used to joke about that, you know. And uh, so I got there, and I sat down at my first meeting, and I was, you know, walked in, I got this big hug, you know, and I'm like, what is this, you know, get off me. But um, I, I sat down, and I remember the first, like, few weeks, I, like, uh, I used to call it the table of death. I just was, like, so scared, and it'd call on me, and... And I don't remember much from my first meeting, but like walking in and just like looking at these people and go, God, they're freaks or something. And <laughs> I'm sorry I'm saying so much bad stuff, but I mean, that's how I felt when I first got there. And uh, I heard stuff about car crashes, you know, uh, beating up your spouse, you know, things that you lose control. And yeah, and just some really messed up stuff. And I go, yeah, you guys need some help, you know. I, I you know, I don't belong. You guys belong in insane asylum or something. And uh, the thing about losing control hit me pretty good because I, I, I was a blackout drinker. I really was. Um, a few instances, I, I, I guess I swung at my dad. I almost tried to beat him up, and I don't remember it. I mean, and it was hard. I had a lot of shame, and and that was that was a big part. You know, my problem. And, uh, but I was very lucky. Um, my first meeting I went to, uh, I was gonna get out of there as fast as I can. And there was someone, they sitting here today, 
and he's very special to me. He's probably one of my best friends. And he grabbed me, and he's like, well, what are you doing tomorrow? And I go, I don't know, I don't know, whatever. And he's like, go to a generals game with me. And so, you know, Flint Generals are a good hockey team, so I said, all right. And I, I went over to these people's houses that were all in the program, and uh, we had pizza, and they were just, I go, man, these people are weird. And they're, I mean, just, you know, they're, like, laughing. They're all acting like kids, and these people are, like, 30, 40 years old. And I'm just like, what am I getting myself into? And and I was lucky. I I had some, met some really good people, and I think I owe a lot of my sobriety, my recovery to them. Um, the next day, um, they were taking me to Grand Rapids. I mean, I'd met these people one or two days, and, and they already invited me to do stuff with them. And, and uh I don't know why they decided to take a chance on me. Um, it's it's amazing how this program works. And I went down and saw my first open talk. I had seven days sober. I won the big book, the countdown, you know. I had danced first time I danced sober in probably three or four years. Um, and and I, I, I felt like drinking. I remember the open talk Daryl Daryl Parsons spoke. And uh that's the first time I, I really kind of understood what this program was about. I started hearing things. You know, that was going to be hard work. And I was like, oh, great. You know, it's like I'm going to school again or something. You know, I'm going to read. And, and I said, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I had these people on me, and and they really, they took me all over. I mean, I guess I, I almost hit my 90, you know, meetings in 90 days. Um, since then, I went to every dance, every AA event for like the next two or three months. Um... I really thought I was enjoying, you know, I was really enjoying it, but I hadn't really, I don't know, it, I kind of was working the program, but it wasn't for me, it seemed, it was just like to fit in, and that's one of the things I always, one of the biggest reasons why I drank was because, you know, I wanted to fit in. Um, I always isolated myself from everybody, um, I, I thought I wasn't loved enough, you know, or my family didn't love me, nobody liked me, you know, all this stuff. Always threw my head up. Never good enough, you know. Whatever I did, it it was never good enough. I mean, I was just, I mean, the biggest thing, alcoholism, they say is a disease, and it can affect anyone. And And I'm proof of that, and all you are proof of that. I mean, it's just doesn't matter, you know, what kind of home life you have, um, where you were raised, uh, your past history. Um, it's a disease of the mind and body. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, both my parents were teachers at my high school. I was... Uh, I had a three, nine something, second in my class. Um, never really drank that much in high school, never really used... Um, I was looked at in the community, by the community as a really, you know, great person, you know, all the parents were like, why aren't you more like him, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I was a three-state all-sport athlete. Um, I went to college to play football for a few years, and, and people said, they, they knew before I did, they go, that kid is gonna go nuts once he goes to college. I mean, they just like, he's just gonna, you know, he's not gonna have his parents there, you know, to watch over him, and, and they knew before I did, and I got there, and I think by like the second day I was already drunk and high, and, and I was never really into pot that much, but I fit in like that, because you know, it was a whole new crowd, and I never deal with change very well, and uh, man, it just it just went on from there, and 
And I was still managing my life. I mean, I went from like a 3.9 in high school to a 2.2 my first semester. And, uh, and I had a four point in volleyball, so that kind of helps out. <laughs> um, but I, I got my grades the next semester, you know, and I kind of slowed down a little bit and I kept my scholarship and, 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 and my life was, I could see now that it was getting unmanageable. Um, my bottom came when I, uh, got arrested for doing something. I really don't have any idea why I did it. Um, remember most of it. I just remember waking up in the jail and calling my dad to come pick me up and looking at a 5 to 15 year felony. <laughs> Talk about the shame, you know, trying to live up to your parents' expectations. Um, God, but, but the biggest thing I can look back on that is that's the first time I really spoke with God truthfully in a long time. And it was one of those things where I said, you know, God, this is, this will be the last time I ever ask you for anything, you know? Just don't send me to jail, you know? And, uh, and I look back now and, and that shows me that there is God out there. Um, through cer- certain circumstances, I never went. Um, I'll be cleared. I'll be off probation probably a little while. I won't have anything in my record. Um, and then, and then God put this fellowship in front of me and these people. And, uh, and it's just amazing. Um, my, my sobriety has really depended on this fellowship. Um, I haven't really had many times where I thought I'd go out and drink and that. Uh, recently I've been going through some stuff, but what I heard at the tables, you know, there'll be people there for you, you know, call them. And when I was hurting, there were people there. You know, I, I always thought, oh, that's crap, you know, whatever. What do you need other people for? And I kind of hit that at, like, my fourth month of sobriety. I started putting the me into the we. <laughs> and I cut off my meetings. Uh, I go, God, I'm going to act like how I was in high school. I'm going to go to school, work out, quit smoking, you know. And I was doing what I thought was right. You know, I want to do it my way. My way is always the best way, you know. That's how it is. And... <laughs> Um, but I found out I was just on the edge or something was wrong. I mean, I was even hanging out with my old friends they were using. Um, and I'm trying to, I don't even know what really happened. Um, I, I, I don't know what clicked in my mind, but I was like, you know, I need to start going back to meetings, even if that means I gotta start smoking again. So, I did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And from there, my last three months of sobriety have been the best months of my sobriety. Um, I've I've got some great friends, friends that you know they don't they don't care about going out and partying. I mean, they they really love you, and love is a big issue, and it's not brought up that much in AA. And everybody needs love. Um, everybody wants love, and uh, I'm definitely a person who I've always been able to love other people and or think I could and care about them, but I never could love myself. And I always had a problem because I never thought I did anything right. And the fellowship showed me that I could love myself because they loved me almost unconditional. I talked to my mom, I'm like, yeah, why can't everybody just love me like you do, Ma? You know, unconditionally. <laughs> but um, the steps, the steps, I mean, the, the, fellow, the steps 
our big key, and, and I'll be honest, I haven't really worked the steps that great. Um, you know, it was easy sailing, then fourth, and I was just like, oh god, I don't know, I don't know. not the fourth. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I started, and it, it's it's going good, but you you make them out to be worse than they probably are, and they're there for a reason, and they're put in order for a reason. And the first one is we admitted we're powerless over alcohol, and that that didn't that wasn't so hard for me. Um, they read the doctor's opinion. I mean, I remember reading it going down to my first uh, open talk, and it just clicked. And I'm like, oh, good, you know, it wasn't my fault, and you know, it's an allergy, and I blame it on that, you know. So that was pretty easy to get off that. And uh, but to say that you admitted you're powerless over something, that was really difficult for me. But then just going to the next step, came to believe, you know. Can't believe in higher power. Um, if you can believe that your ass has been kicked by uh, alcohol, you know it's powerful. If you can believe that, I mean, there's there's got to be a higher power out there that's better. I mean, you can believe there's a higher power that that's bad, like alcoholism. Well, then there's you know there's a higher power out there that's probably good, like God. And God was my higher power. And uh, lately, I've been praying a lot, and I read a lot more. And uh, I'm doing I'm doing a lot better and I'm really glad to be a part of this fellowship. I've gained a lot out of it and I hope I've given something to you today to think about and hopefully I've touched somebody today in some special way. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. Uh our next speaker is Mike. My name's Mike. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Mike. Love you, Mike. Lots and lots and lots. Oh, You're all going to have to excuse me tonight if I kind of don't make any sense or anything. I'm really tired and buzzed up on espresso and coffee and everything. And I guess they wanted me to talk about what it's like to be a newcomer and... I feel like I've been a newcomer for the last probably two and a half years. I I went to my first meeting two and a half years ago and got sober and relapsed and got sober and relapsed and got sober and relapsed. And I'd be able to stay sober maybe a month or two, a couple times three. And where I live, I live in Flint, and it seems like most people don't don't read the big book and don't talk about the steps, and it's just really not a very good place. I I didn't really learn about the steps at all, and I I tried to avoid the young people. I went to a couple dances, and dances just weren't for me. I really I didn't I couldn't dance sober, and I just thought, well, this stuff just isn't for me. So I'd just go out and drink, and usually I'd have to come back in maybe a couple days, maybe a couple months, and I I did that for about two years, and. A little over six months ago, I was just, I was just really sick of drinking. I'd crash another car, which wasn't anything unusual. I had been crashing cars for a few years and got arrested, which wasn't anything different. I had been doing that for years too. And I was just, I, I don't know what happened to me. I was just really sick of just doing the same thing, just coming back to meetings and just thinking, I'm just going to go to meetings. I'm just going to do whatever I want and go to meetings and not drink. And 
It never worked for me, never. So a little over six months ago, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll just get a new sponsor. That'll work. <laughs> so I got myself a new sponsor, and I didn't have a car or anything, didn't have a job. My truck was smashed, lost my head off. I had been sober about three months right before that, and I started a lawn care and landscaping business, and I needed my truck to pull my trailer, lost my business, smashed my truck, and things weren't really going too well. So I got myself a new sponsor, and I think I was sober like five or six days or something like that, and I really wanted to drink, and I, I called him up, and I he said, well, I'm going out of town or something like that, and and he said, what did he say? He said, you wouldn't want to go backpacking, would you? And I, I said, sure. I bought a backpack when I was like 16. Never used it because I, I couldn't backpack because I couldn't hold enough liquor in my backpack. So. <laughs> that was out of the question. But it just happened that one other person that was going to go canceled and they had room for one more person to go. So I went along and... I didn't really have a good time, but, but I went there, and I, I didn't drink. I knew I was going to drink if I stayed home, so I went, and, and like, the next week after that was the hell camp out, and they said, well, why don't, why don't you go to this camp out, and I thought, no, I, I don't want to, really, but I got a, I managed to get a job, like, within two weeks after I quit drinking, I got a job, got a comfy vehicle. So everything was kind of okay, and I went to this camp out. I really kind of wanted to drink, so I gave somebody that I knew my driver's license so I couldn't go buy any alcohol, and I went to this camp out, and all these people were there, and they were just all having a good time, and and I just hated it. <laughs> it just, it really sucked. I didn't want to be there. I I went at the tent and I tried to go to sleep and everyone was really loud and it was pissing me off. So I packed up all my stuff, got my pillow, put on my clothes, rolled my sleeping bag up, unzipped the tent and like three people were just coming up to the tent at the same time I was leaving. I said, well, I'm taking off. <laughs> and they said, well, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm just going to go home. I'm not really having a good time. It's just these weird coincidences. Someone else canceled this backpacking trip, and I just happened to be leaving at the same time that some other people were coming to stop me from leaving, and so they talked me into staying, I stayed, and really the first couple months I was sober, all I did is go camping, <laughs> pretty much. It seemed like every weekend there was a camp out, and if, if there wasn't a camp out, then I'd go backpacking with some friends and stuff, and it was just like, I came up with this great theory, well, I can just not drink and go to camp out. <laughs> but, but I'd go to these camp outs, and, and people were just having a fun time, and I was just, I was there, I was sober, and I used to like to camp when I was younger, but I just couldn't figure out why these people were having such a fun time, and and my sponsor, I talked to my sponsor all the time, and he said, he said, well, all these people work the steps, and that's why they're okay with themselves, that's why they're having a good time, and I just, I thought, well, fuck it, I'll just do this too, then. <laughs> I never really tried it, I, 
I had tried the first and second step, maybe half-assed a couple times. And I knew I'd read the big book a few times, parts, bits and pieces of it. And so I just I started working these steps, and I don't know. It's just it's really changed my life. I I don't know. I I didn't really learn much about the steps in the big book. Like my first two years of trying to get sober, I'd go to like meetings every day. And the steps were rarely mentioned where I'd go to meetings at. I'd, I'd kind of pick out meetings where people didn't talk about the steps because I didn't really want to hear about it even. And just It seems like Mickey Paws, everyone in it seems to work a good program from what I've met a lot, of, or I won't say everyone, but most people. And I've really learned a lot about this program just from just from camp outs and <laughs> and talking to people other people in the program I've met a lot of people and made some good friends in this program and my caffeine buzz is wearing off <laughs> I don't know I just I, w I almost wasn't going to come here today I I made I, uh, what's it called, pre-registered like a month ago, and I was planning on coming, and then, then I, Wednesday night, I thought, fuck it, I don't really want to go anyways, because if I didn't go, then I'd have enough money I could take the next three weeks off of work. I just wanted to lay back, because I quit smoking Wednesday, and I was just going to skip it, and, like, Friday afternoon, somebody called me up and said, well, Mike, you need a ride down there, you want to go, and... I said, no, I'm not going to go. I changed my mind. and He knew I was going to go. That's why he called me up. And I said, no, I'm not going. And he said, well, you're on that committee. I said, I'm not going to go. They'll be okay. And you're supposed to speak. Oh, they'll be okay. <laughs> but he said, well, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to leave about midnight, so you can just come for a few hours. So I thought, yeah, I'll just come for a couple hours. <laughs> Take off. That'll be okay. And then I got here and I, I told a few people, I'm just going to leave tonight. And <laughs> just everyone, I don't know, it's just, I didn't want to come and somebody just happened to call me up that never called me, somebody I never talked to, called me up and said, hey, you want to ride with me? And it's all these weird coincidences that I've been having and it's just that the more these things happen, the more I know there's a God in my life. And I got one little story that's kind of, kind of interesting, I... I was working for this guy and I was I was pouring a cement wall and I was the wall forms were rented and there were certain pieces that came along with them and after, I was supposed to take everything back but some of the stuff I threw away because <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to throw it away and my my boss said well did you take this all this stuff back and I said yeah because I I tried to be honest but I I didn't really think anything big would come about it. I thought it'd just blow over. And, and then a couple of days later, he said, well, you took that stuff back, right? And I said, yeah. And then he said, well, that's good because I got a lawsuit against them for $2,000 or something like that. And it was it was really bothering me. I just, I don't know. I, I knew I should tell my boss that I didn't really take the stuff back, but I knew that if I told him I would lose my job and lose my company vehicle and all this stuff and but I I reached a point where it was bothering me enough that 
I knew if I didn't do the right thing that I would go back out and drink. So I I was going to go down there and I was going to I was going to tell him, but then I changed my mind and I was in one of my friend's cars and he dropped me off at my boss's house and said, "Get the fuck out of the car right now." <laughs> and we we sat there like 20 minutes and he bitched at me and I said, "I ain't going in there." And I went in there and I talked to my boss expecting to lose my job and I'm saying he said, well, that's okay. I wish I wish you would have told me earlier, but I'm glad you told me. Nothing. The lawsuit was dropped. I didn't lose my job, and just I was just so surprised by doing the right thing. Everything worked out, and usually I would have just let the lawsuit settle somehow and hope they settle out of court or something. And I don't know. Just I think the third step is just just to do the right thing, do what you think God would want you to do, and. I've been trying to do all these steps a little bit. I I started my amends maybe two months ago, and then I did like two of them, three of them, and took like a, almost two months off. And just the other day, I got to do one of them that I didn't really want to do. And I've just been doing a lot of stuff that I wouldn't usually do. Uh, me and Brad started this meeting up at Insight. It's a treatment center in Flint. And we just go there and kind of ramble on for an hour to these kids in this treatment center. And they don't really want to hear what we're saying, but we just go there just to go there, I guess. It really makes me feel good when I can just go there and just do anything I can do to try to help somebody else. People have helped me out so much. And anything I can do to help somebody else really seems to make me feel good. And... I don't know, I've got really bad cat and mouth from this espresso, so I think I'll just stop right there. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, next speaker is Mick, uh, Nikki. Hi, my name's Nikki, and I'm an addict. Thanks, guys. Oh, God. Let's see. Um, where should I begin? Um, well, I'll begin where I got into the program. Um, I came into the program just a little over a year ago. Um, thing was, I had uh, gotten into... Uh, drugs and uh, alcohol usage. Um, right after my grandmother died, um, I guess my uh, using started before that because I had been drinking probably about the age of seven and started smoking cigarettes back then. And um, after my grandmother died, it gradually got worse. And when I started coming to these meetings, started sorting things through, and I realized what I was doing was I was covering up the hurt and the pain that I felt inside, and sometimes I still feel like doing that, and sometimes I'll do that by isolating because it's very hard for me to talk to people. It's very hard for me to do this, too. I'm really nervous, and plus the fact uh, I don't hey, get much sleep at these things, and I drink a lot of coffee also, you know, affects that. <laughs> um, I started coming into the program. Um, I had a mental breakdown in front of my parents, so... I had been out in Jackson 
visiting, and um, I decided I didn't want to come home. So they came out there, and they decided they were going to drag my ass back and have a little talk with me, and I didn't want to talk with them. They had found all my paraphernalia, and when I had realized this, I couldn't get out of there because they had backed me basically into a corner and told me to shut the fuck up and told me to listen, and they started bitching, and I ended up flipping out and almost hurting my mother again because my mother and I don't get along, and we ended up getting in physical fights later on in life when I decided to start standing up for myself. Um... She's a manic depressive, and she had tried to convince me after my grandmother died that I was a manic depressive. And um, I didn't like the fact that she had done that and got me locked up. And so I started flipping out after that. And I've gotten a hell of a lot better since I've been clean. Like, I, I can try to control it to a point, but if somebody pisses me off to a very extent point, it's like, look out. Um... When I first got in and uh, started going to the meetings, I was scared shitless. I didn't know exactly what to expect. Um, somebody bought me um, a book at my first meeting, which was really cool. Um, and uh, I actually felt better after I had, you know, told them what my problem was and why I was there. And um, I mean, I was still nervous. And finally, I started going to these meetings on my own after this friend of mine had introduced me to them. Um, and I started going, and I was doing this for my parents to make them happy. And uh, I realized that wasn't the point to be there when I relapsed. A month later, I had gotten my 30 days, and two days after, bam, back out there. Um, I realized that I had to do it for myself because you cannot do it for anyone else. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Um, I started listening to people talk, and things started to go into my head, but that first step still didn't seem to quite sink into my head. It took me a while. Um, I was working on my six months clean, and the little addict inside of my head said, you can do this, you can go back out, you can use, you stayed clean for a while, you can do it again, you can just have one found out three months later that I couldn't. I looked back and I saw I was doing the exact same things I was doing before, expecting different results. I started stealing from the family again, getting myself into trouble. Um, my mom decided that was the end of it and she kicked me out of her house. And um, I went and I tried to live with my dad and my dad and I don't really get along either. So he basically told me, to live by his rules, which were treating me like a child, and I am not a child, or get out. So I got out of there, and um, this past summer, I lived uh, for a week, basically here and there, um, you know, a place every night, and it was rough. And um, finally somebody offered me a place to stay. Um, they told me I had two weeks to find a job, and I couldn't use, and kept me back on track and um was going for a while and um I moved out of there and I moved in with another friend because uh they were moving down south and they couldn't have me in the house anymore. So I moved in uh, with another friend in a trailer which was kind of cramped. It wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. I had a job now holding it steady um 
and uh, I was having a good time, and next thing I know, I'm uh, up at this club, and I have some heroin shoved in my face, and that was my boiling point, was the heroin. I loved it, and I love to get high on it, and when you get that shit shoved in your face, it's like you cannot say no to it. It was right there. I ended up slipping. Uh, I had 60 days. Um, since then, I've gotten back on track. Um, I'm feeling better. I love these conventions. <laughs> um, conventions and the meetings are what really keep me sober. I remember um, going to Glicky Pot earlier this year. It was my first convention, and um, I had a good time. Uh, I, it was a kind of spontaneous thing, sort of like this one. It's like, I don't exactly plan to go to these things. It's like the last minute, and I just jump on it. And it seems a lot better that way. I'll like get here, and I'll be, you know, eh, and not feeling fit in, and feeling like I'm not supposed to be here. And then it gradually gets better, and I end up staying up all night and straight through the thing. <laughs> Drinking lots of coffee. <laughs> and um, I've actually found ways to have fun at these things, like, you know, doing the staying up all night and going swimming in the morning right when the pool opens and uh, going to the uh, retreats, um, which are really fun. Um, you know, doing the bumper canoes. <laughs> and um, seaweed fights, which were really interesting. and. Ringing the dinner bell until it gets stuck. <laughs> um, and meeting all kinds of people from uh, different places, sharing their stories and listening to them. Um, I'm grateful to be where I am today because I could, you know, look back and see where I could have been. I mean, there there could have been a lot of places where I could have been if I had continued on that same track that I was on last year. I mean. It's like amazing. It's sort of like a, a miniature spiritual awakening, I guess you would call it. Um, to actually realize how far you have gotten and try and fight that urge to, you know, go out there and use. Um, and, um, for the newcomers, you. you you know, they need to sit there and listen to the people. It's, you know, it's great to, you know, go there and see everybody and get the hugs and shit, but listening to people's stories and relating with them and talking with them after, it really helps. Um, I know I've had a hard time trying to talk to people, but I found out that when I do, it releases a little bit. And a little bit every time until I finally, you know, unstuff all that shit that's been buried so deep down inside for all these years. And, um, another thing is, um, when I relapsed the, uh, second time, um, I hadn't been working my program like I should have. I didn't have a sponsor. I wasn't reading my book like I should have. Um, I, I wasn't trying to do the steps. I was just going to the meetings and talking. I have now found a sponsor, and um, I'm trying to get my life back in order. I'm trying to work the steps. And that first step is the fucking hardest one to fucking get. It took damn near six or seven months to pound into my fucking head. <laughs> and 
I finally realized that being an addict isn't all that bad, you know. Just as long as you stay clean, you know. You're not going to be out there hurting people. You're not going to be hurting yourself. And um, you can actually, you know, show your true Feel that happiness come back and all the emotions. I mean, it's fucking scary as hell at first, but then you start to realize, wow, what the hell is this? I don't know. Um, I'm really grateful for this program because I could be dead in a ditch somewhere. I could be prostituting myself, which was probably going to end up being my next step if I hadn't gotten back into going into meetings again. Because when I was out there that last time, I didn't really want to come back. A friend dragged me back to a meeting, and I'm really grateful for that friend. Because if I didn't have friends, like the friends that I have in these programs, I wouldn't be here today. I really wouldn't. I'd either be using or dead. And, you know, that that's scary, but you gotta look at life how it is. I mean, you know, if, if you're like out there dealing and shit, or prostituting, you know, you get picked up and thrown into jail. Like they said, jails, institutions are death. And it's, it's true if you look at it, you know, if you're out there dealing and you deal somebody some bad shit, they're gonna fucking try to track your ass down and shoot you or kill you or something. Same with, you know, you could get thrown in jail or an institution for flipping out and going crazy and psychotic for the rest of your life. I didn't want that. And that's one of my main reasons why I came back. Because I did not want that at all. I mean, it's really hard trying to get clean at a young age. It is. It's probably the most difficult step I've taken in my life, besides seeing my grandmother die. Because she meant a lot to me, and this program means a lot to me. And it's, you know, it's it, it's working slowly, gradually, you know. You gotta be patient and let the steps work them with you. You don't have to rush it. You don't have to go fast. I mean, I may not have much clean time, but I've sat around these meetings and I've listened. And I've tried to sink the shit into my head, even if I'm tired as hell. And really don't want to listen and be at that table, I sit there and I listen through this just to get through another day clean. Um, that's all I have to say. Thanks, Nikki. Uh, our last speaker is Amy. today. Um, you had told me I'd be speaking at this convention or even at an AA meeting a year ago. I never would have believed you. I started drinking young. Um, not as young as seven, but 
13, uh, I started using and drinking. And I remember the first time that I did it, I did it by myself in my parents' house. And I went into their cupboard and I got out some peach schnapps. And of course, I had a big 7 Eleven glass and I filled three quarters of, three quarters of it up with uh, peach schnapps and, and a quarter with orange juice. And I drank it. And, um, and I guzzled the whole thing down and could not understand why I wasn't feeling anything. <laughs> and, uh, so I drank another. And then it hit me about 20 minutes later. And I remember that feeling, that warm feeling, my whole body. Um, and I was thinking about that this morning, just what that did for me internally. Um, and from then on, you know, initially it wasn't a problem for me. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I've always lived to seize the day. I've always taken advantage of opportunities. I've always been an extremist. And when I said I was going to drink, I was going to drink. And when I was going to drug, I was going to drug. And, um, and if we had three beers for three people, it wasn't a matter of splitting it up one, you know, we should get one. It was who gets three. And how do we find six more? Because there was no point to it. There was never a point in me drinking one. I never wanted one. I never drank a beer just to drink a beer. I drank a beer to drink, you know, six of them or more. Um, and it was a progression. I went from drinking to smoking dope to doing coke and acid mushrooms and and anything I could get my hands on. Um, in the end, it was a lot of prescription drugs. And, you know, I resorted... <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this today, but I resorted to snorting Ritalin when I couldn't get cocaine because because um, I was too poor. I didn't have the resources anymore, but I needed that butt. I needed that. And uh, like I said, it wasn't a problem initially for me. At least I didn't think so. It didn't seem to interfere with things, but um, it seemed to fill that void that I had in me and really... Um, give me that feeling that, that I didn't get any other time and that I didn't get when I was sober. You know, I couldn't find that when I was sober. Um, it did get worse and worse, and it got to the point where I needed to use because I didn't know another way. Um, it was a never-ending cycle. I would use, I would do things that I'm deeply ashamed of today, and I would wake up the next morning not wanting to face those things. And uh, to get rid of them, I'd use some more. And it kept going and going and going to the point where I couldn't get up and go to school in the morning unless I had my stash next to my bed. And um, and I didn't have to be sober for any amount of time. You know, I wouldn't get out of bed and go to school in the morning unless I was hired to do it because I couldn't face the people and I couldn't face myself. For me, the hardest thing about getting sober was just being sober. Um... I hated myself. Everything about me I hated. And that was so hard to wake up from that fog and have to face the whole reality of just being. And I've heard a lot this week that we are spiritual beings having human experience. And I love that. But that's something that has really evolved for me. I didn't consider myself a spiritual being for a long time. I was grown up in a household. Um, pretty much my parents are agnostic. And I grew up for 22 years not believing there was anything greater than me. You know, I was the center of the universe. What I did and what I said, you know, you would respond directly to that. And um, therefore, I controlled it. I had all the control. And uh, it's been a very humbling experience being in this program and realizing that I'm not speaking to you today, that God is speaking through me, hopefully, because I've been asking him all morning. <laughs> um, 
which is interesting too, because if, if I look back in my in my life, my sobriety, I've been I've been clean for about eight months now, and if I look back even even three months ago, and uh, and you had told me I'd be praying today, I would have told you where to go, because uh, that's not something that I believed. But things have happened in my life. When I first got sober this time around, uh, things were happening to me. My life was improving, and I could see that, and I knew that. But all of a sudden, I started getting gifts, things that I didn't really deserve. <clears throat> Excuse me. Things that were happening to me, not just because I was sober, but there was something working in my life, and I couldn't define it, and I couldn't put my finger on it. But um, I'm getting a grasp of that today. You know, I'm, I'm realizing that today, and I'm realizing that I am a spiritual being. <clears throat> um, I went to rehab when I was 20 years old. I had two attempted suicides, and the second one ended, landed me in the hospital. I had six days uh, blackout, pretty much comatose. And they told me when I left that they didn't think there was any way I was going to live through it. And uh, at the time, I didn't want to live through it. I was angry, and I was resentful, and I didn't want any part of you people because there was no fun in my life without using. There wasn't. I had gone, prior to going into rehab, after my second suicide attempt, I'd gone to a counselor, and I confessed everything. And I knew my life was miserable. I knew that. I knew I was having problems just mentally getting through the day. But she said to me, why don't you quit using? And I looked at her like she was the enemy. I could not believe that she had the gall to tell me to stop using because it was the only good thing in my life. It was the only thing I thought gave me pleasure in my life. It was the rest of the world that was fucked up. It wasn't me, you know? The drugs were the only thing I was getting any pleasure out of. And, uh, and I couldn't believe she said that to me. And so I left, and I didn't do anything about it. But somehow or another, I ended up where I ended up. And, uh... And I spent four months sober after that. But as Nikki said, I didn't do it for myself. I did it because people were expecting me to do it. And yeah, my life improved. And I was doing real well in school. And my relationships were much better. And I felt better, a little better about myself. But about four months sober, I was walking through the grocery store and it occurred to me that she's life is so good, you know? Things are going so well. I should probably celebrate. <laughs> so, uh, not even thinking about it. And I had recently turned 21, and that was a hard thing for me, too, you know? That was a privilege. That was a right. I could go into a store and buy a beer, you know? I was really important. So, uh, I bought that six pack of beer, and it turned into drinking a 12 pack and going out and getting some coke. And, and I stayed out for a year and a half. And, uh, and then about eight months ago, I made a decision. And I don't exactly know how it happened, like I've heard up here tonight, too. But um, I guess I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and I knew the whole time that there was an answer. But I wasn't willing to work it. And I wasn't willing to go find it. And I wasn't willing to look at me. Because this, as soon as I got sober, like I said, I had to face all the bullshit that I had pulled and all the people that had hurt in my life. And I knew that fourth step was there. And, and I wasn't getting anywhere near that. I had... No interest in that whatsoever. And um, and I started going to meetings. Dropped out of school. I took a year off of school. And, and I got sober. 
And I started going to meetings every night, and I did my 90 and 90, and things just started changing for me. And I started working the steps, and I started opening up to people, and I started to realize that, no, Amy, you're not the center of the universe, and there is something bigger than you out there. And there are people out there that actually care about you, even though you pulled some really shitty things in your life. No, there really are people out there. Um, and not just my family, not just my parents, but people that don't even know me, but because we have a common link and a common solution to our problems, they, they care. You know, that just fascinated me. That just blew me away. Because everybody I've ever known in my life wanted something from me, and I, I wanted something from them. You know, I didn't have a friend that it wasn't give or take, usually drugs, but uh, it was something. It was always something. And unconditional love is not something that I'm real familiar with. Um, so all in all, my life has changed tremendously over the past eight months. And really this time around, it's because I'm doing it for myself. Um, I'm working the ninth step right now. And I've been told in this program that when you're finished with one through nine, your ego is at its lowest point. And I understand that because it's a very humbling experience for me, really, to face all those demons and everything. But I've, you know, I've been able to do it. And I've been able to do it because there's people around me that have, that have come before me. And there's people that come in after me. And I can look at them and say, you know what, I know it's not any better out there. And, uh, and I'm stubborn. And I need to hear things over and over and over sometimes to really get them in my head. I do. But, but sometimes they click. And a, a lot of things, a lot of things, especially the spiritual, spirituality, <laughs> that's, that's really been the turning point for me. It really has. Just to get outside of myself. If nothing else, you know, your God may not be my God, but just to get outside of yourself and know that, that we are not the center. And that life does not revolve around us. You know, it's made a tremendous difference in my life. And the people and the fellowship and all that. But if you are new coming into this program, they tell you it gets different before it gets better. And for me, it got really shitty before it got any better. And, um, and I hated it. And I hated everything about it. And I hated all you people. Because I believed you were sober, but I did not believe you were happy. No way did I believe you were happy. <laughs> I mean, sobriety, that's boring. You know, people, how can you have fun? How can you have a life if you don't party? Everything I did was, you know, in conjunction with a drink or a drug. You know, I, I didn't do things sober because it wasn't fun. And, uh, and I'm learning that today. And I'm still way too serious. I take life way too seriously. And I'm trying to lighten up. And I'm trying to smile and have a good time. And, and it's hard for me. It really is. It's hard. And it's also hard to accept that I can be happy today. Now that, that there are people that are going to be there for me unconditionally, it's really hard. But, uh, I'm learning and I'm growing and I hope, I hope I continue to. And, um, I just really appreciate the opportunity I had today to speak to you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.